You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The car feature with Nicole Lowe. Nicole Lowe on the line, technical specialist and former technical editor for Car Magazine. Nicole Lowe, how are you doing? I hope you're good. Hi, Caswell. Pleased to meet you on the radio and uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, mate. Um, interesting, uh, vehicle key technology. Um, <laughs> long story. Lost, you know, your little, your remote control keys. Lost that. Don't know where it is. I need to find it at the moment using the manual key. So I've gone back to the stone age of vehicles. But I see that there's been a massive improvement in technology. Not the first thing I would think of. Yes, so let's just talk about key technology and we'll end on a bit of a sour note and it's relating to this relay theft that's happening at the moment. Mm. But let's start, you're talking about the Stone Age. So if you remember cars back in the day, it used to have a, a manual key. So that's a metal key only. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to stick into the door. That was even before the days that you had central locking. I don't know if people are old enough to remember that. So it only opens the driver's door. It's a mechanical operation. It spins and it pushes back, and obviously the key needs to be the correct shape. Then it opens the door, and the same key will then go into the ignition barrel, and the same is, is again, mechanical pins that it, that it basically unlocks. It allows you to turn the ignition, and then uh, you get your power to flow through your current, and you get ignition, you can start the engine. So those kind of vehicles were also the easiest to steal. That's the typical ones you've seen in a movie with the two wires, the guy connect and then he drives off. Mm. So that is possible with the old cars, not with a newer car. So let's move a, a step on. So then we got coded keys. So that is a key. It's still got man, um, mechanical manual operation, but inside the key is a chip. Mm. And that chip can be read. It's actually transmitting a code. So when that key, so you open the door, uh, you press it, you put that key into the ignition barrel, and the ignition barrel can actually read the code in that chip. And that code needs to correspond to the code in the engine control unit. If mm. there's no correspondence, if there's no handshake, even though the mechanical key might, might turn into in the ignition, it won't allow the vehicle to start. So you won't see the lights come on in the instrument cluster. It needs to see that code. So then later on, we had a remote. So the remote is quite nice because now as you walk into the car, you can press a button. It's actually a transmitter. It transmits the code to the vehicle. It can open the doors for you. You get in, but you still need to put the key into the barrel Mm, and the mm. same operation as described before. So lastly, now we have keyless entry and start. And we'll get to the the troubles now, but keyless entry and start means that the key never needs to leave your pocket. So mm-hmm. you have the key inside your pocket, you walk to your modern car, it can, it actually transmits the code, and the receiver of the car can detect that you're next to the driver or the passenger door, and as you normally touch the, the handle, the car will open. Mm. You can get in without taking your, your key out of the pocket, and when you're inside the vehicle, the vehicle can now detect that that key is inside the vehicle, and there's normally a push-button start, Mm. You press the button, the vehicle ignition will go on, the engine will start, and off you go. So it's very comfortable, it's nice to use, um, and I thought it was very safe. Not anymore. Mm. So let's let's get to what is called uh, relay theft. Mm-hmm. So relay theft is the modern way, and I'm sure people seen videos on, on social media about this. 
what happens is that key that you carry in your pocket is always transmitting a code permanently because mm-hmm. the vehicle needs to know when you close. So what the, the crooks do is they will send one guy after you, one person, let's say person, after you, and he's got a, a device that can sort of read the code that gets transmitted from your key. It needs to be close to you. So mm-hmm. if he's in a shopping center or whatever, somebody following you very closely, yeah, be careful. Or you're sitting at a restaurant, somebody's chair is just moving too close to comfort. He's trying to get as close as possible to that key of yours that's transmitting the code. And what that um, a device of his does is it, it takes that code and it actually transmits it to, it needs to be a, a team effort. There's another person standing at your car with a receiver and they're relaying that code, transmitting it from where you're in the restaurant, where you're in your shopping center, all the way wow. outside to the guy standing next to the car. And the car, thinking, oh, but uh, I, I, can, I can see the, the code here. I can, I can read the code. So the guy, the person with the key must be here. So it opens and you can get, actually get inside the other person and he can start the vehicle and he can drive off. So no, no eating windows out or hot wiring the cars. It's very, very simple. And now he can drive the car to wherever. Um, when he stops the car, obviously the, the, the signal is now gone. Mm. You only get one go at it. Um, when, once he switches it off, it won't start again without seeing the code. Now the guy's probably too far away from the, uh, from the target in the first place. Mm-hmm. But that allows them to drive the car away to a location where they can either strip the car down or they can change the ECU or something to, to get the car working. And then obviously they've got a car with no damage to sell on the black market. So that is what is called relay theft. Um, there's one way to prevent relay theft, mm. and that is to you get some of these key pouches now that you can buy. Okay. We call it a Faraday pouch. So when you put your key inside that pouch, it actually blocks the signal from being transmitted. The only problem with that is if you've got your, your keyless key in that pouch, then your keyless functions won't work. So you have to take the key out of the pouch if you want to use the keyless functions to get into the car and to start the car. But yeah. In a nutshell, that's car key technology for you in the last couple of decades. Wow. I mean, that is absolutely fascinating. So you have this uh, Faraday pouch, which is a Faraday, uh, a Faraday cage that the key is held in. So no, um, you know, no, no, no um, waves can sort of traverse it and then they can't thereby then get that, that transmission code and, and, and relay it back to your vehicle and basically take off with your, with your vehicle without yeah. you being there. Exactly. Um, just some technical information as well regarding the immobilizer system of the vehicle. The cars mm. have got so many ECUs, engine or electronic control units. We all talk about the ECU engine control unit. Mm. That's a computer that controls the, the engine itself, but then... The instrument cluster that gives you the display, that's another very important control unit. And there's another unit in the car that they call the body control unit. That normally uh, controls the operations of the body, so the, the doors that open, some of the light, interior lights, things like that. And they all need to speak to each other on a CAN bus. So they can exchange codes to each other. So don't think that you can get into a car, just e- e- quickly change one of these modules and drive off because... The modules will know now, but I've got a different code than the previous one. There's, there's not a marriage between the modules. The vehicle won't start. So that's why if you want to change instrument cluster, if you want to change the engine control unit, you always have to go to either to a dealer or 
somebody that knows what he's doing, uh, auto electrician with that capability to be able to marry the modules to each other. So it's not so simple to just change one of them because they need a handshake mm. between all of them before the vehicle will actually start. As you speak, and I don't want to sound like an ancient fuddy-duddy, but uh, before I get to that, 011-883-0702, alternatively 02, uh, 072, uh, 702-1702 for your technical questions um, that you might have for for for, for Nickel, um, especially based on the fact that we have about 15 minutes to go. Um, so, so get dialing now so that you can ask those technical questions, those issues that you're not sure of and you'd like to resolve. Um, but, you know, the thing that stands out for me immediately is that, you know, with these, with a push start, with these keys that you keep in your pocket and it's supposed to be uh, supposedly more convenient, et cetera, et cetera. I found that they're a bit of a, and, and maybe it's because I'm not used to it. Maybe it's something that I still need to get used to, Nicole, is that it, it becomes a bit of an annoyance. Um, you know, for work purposes, rented a vehicle. This vehicle um, had one of those where you keep the pocket, uh, the key in your pocket. Uh, it's a press. Uh, it's a press start. I had it in the center console, and somehow managed to drop the key in between those little gaps in the plastic uh, in the center console. And I had to literally now pull this thing apart to access the key because you know I otherwise I'm stuffed. Um, it, it becomes a major headache and constantly remembering where the key is. Uh, whereas in the past, um, when with my current vehicle, it's easy. I just, you know, the key's always in the ignition. Otherwise, it's not going to run. Yeah, I think the the problem there is it should stay in your pocket. That's the main thing. But we're all used to taking the key out when you're not used to the technology. And as you say, now you're looking for where can I put this key. But if it's never been out of your pocket, you never will have that that issue. Uh, remember also that uh, even a keyless entry and start that key fob will always have, or mostly, let's say mostly have a mechanical key inside as well. So there's normally a little tab that you can pull and then you'll see it opens up and the mechanical key comes out. The reason for that is obviously the batteries can go flat. So mm. if the batteries go flat, it won't transmit that signal anymore. It won't, the vehicle won't allow you to get in and start it, which is a major concern. So then you can actually, that little tab, you can press that tab, you take out the mechanical key, and some of the modern cars, it looks like you can't even insert the key into the to the handle or close to the door at the handle because there's no keyhole anymore. Mm, mm. But normally, just a little plastic bit that comes off and it hides that slot where the mechanical key goes in. So most of the modern vehicles with keyless start will still have that mechanical override in case everything else goes wrong. So at least you can get the car home. Nicole, you're gonna make me sound like uh, some some ancient fuddy daddy because I'm, you know, in my day, you, your key was, you know, <laughs> that's what I'm gonna sound like. O double one double eight three o seven o two. Alternatively, o seven two seven o two one seven o two. Drop uh, a voice note. Alternatively, a text message if it is via WhatsApp. Uh, but always first prize on 011-883-0702 for your technical questions related to your vehicle. Uh, first person up is Loiso in Pretoria. Loiso, how are you doing? Hi there, I'm good and you. Great stuff, man. Good, good. Nicole, um, I've got a 2017 Ford Focus, um, and it has the stop-start function, and it stopped working, and the dealership told me to replace it. And I've replaced it with the actual battery that they wanted, which was a 651, but uh, that stop-start function still does not work. Okay. 
So the stop-start function in your car is really there to save fuel. That's the main mm-hmm. idea behind stop-start. So if you're commuting, a lot of stop-start driving with your commuting traffic, the idea is the engine switches off uh, for all the time that you're stationary. Um, and then, um, obviously, you save a bit of fuel. It's debatable as to actually how, many, how much fuel you save, um, but every little helps. We know what the fuel price is, and it's also January. So yeah. how that system works is there's a, quite a few inputs in that system before it decides it's going to switch the engine off. So in a manual car, you need to be in neutral, you need to have the clutch in, and you need to be stationary. Then, then it's got a chance for that uh, system to switch off. If it's an automatic, it's easier because obviously you sta- just need to be stationary, foot on the brake, and it, it will be able to switch off. But what it also yeah. needs to see is it needs to see what is the current voltage in your battery because if the battery voltage is too low, the engine control unit will prevent it from switching off because you might not be able to start the car again if the battery voltage is too low. Because obviously, every time you stop and start, you take a bit of charge out of the battery. So battery voltage is another input. Another input is your air conditioning system. So if you've got an automatic climate control where you put your vehicle to a certain temperature, and maybe it's high summer, it's like 30-odd degrees outside, you've uh, asked for the interior to be like at 18 degrees Celsius, um, the engine will not switch off in that sense that the aircon won't work when the engine is not running. So the, the climate control system will tell the ECU, no, you're not stopping that engine now because my driver has requested 18 degrees Celsius interior temperature, it's 35 outside, I can't manage without the engine running. So that's mm-hmm. another input as to when it will actually switch off. So yeah. what you can do is you can ask the dealership to check all these inputs to the system to make sure that there's not one of them that actually prevents the system from activating. So I, I, I mentioned a, quick, a few quick ones, the physical, mm-hmm. uh, we need to be stationary, foot on the brake, clutch in if it's yeah. a manual, neutral, air, aircon uh, temperature setting, and obviously also battery voltage. There's a couple of them, but there might even be more entries into that system that will prevent it to switch uh, off. But I mean, if you use that, it will switch off in your daily commute, and now it doesn't. Um, and it's the same conditions, then it needs to be checked. There's something that's preventing the engine from switching off. Okay, thanks. Because uh, I did check the manual. I replaced the battery. I did all the stuff that you actually just mentioned. It's an automatic. Um, so I guess I'll just have to go to the dealership. Yes, there might be something that's still preventing it. And it, yeah, okay. I would take it for a diagnostic check just to see if there's not a fault condition somewhere that prevents the engine from switching off. Okay. Thanks for that one, uh, Loiso. Um, yeah, that's actually quite interesting. Um, you know, how, you know, some of the governance around your stop and start, um, you know, mechanisms. I, I wasn't even aware of some of the things that you had mentioned, like, for example, um, you know, your aircon and the setting on that and how that can do it. And even, uh, taking into account the voltage that's available on your battery, because I guess it's pretty pointless. Uh, for you to have your car switched off while you're standing at, at a robot and then you can't move again because lo and behold, um, there's not enough voltage to, to restart your vehicle. I, I, I never thought that that was, you know, the level of complexity that goes into the governance of it. But I was also wondering about it, just like you, Nicole, that um, is, there, is there an actual benefit to it? Does it actually save you fuel? Uh, because I guess, you know, and this probably goes back to old school knowledge, I mean, I was taught that if you stop start and, you know, you switch off and you start and you switch off and you start, that that burns more fuel 
than simply leaving it to idle. Yes, that was true with the old cars with carburetors. With the ah. fueling that there was still a mechanical carburetor because that normally overfueled quite a bit, especially during the start condition. Mm. Now with the modern cars, we've got fuel injection uh, with your petrol engines. You've got injectors in your diesel engines. It's electronic control. They can monitor and precisely control the amount of fuel that goes into the combustion chamber. So that actually is quite an efficient event these days. It's not like the old carburetors where it used to waste a lot of fuel during that start and stop event. The reason why we have stop-start in our modern uh, internal combustion engine vehicles is because of the emission uh, cycle that the vehicles get tested on as well as your claimed fuel consumption. So especially the previous cycle that they used in Europe was called NEDC, the new European drive cycle. That had a lot of idle time. So they would put the vehicle in a laboratory on rollers. They will measure the tailpipe emissions and fuel consumption on a, on a very definite drive cycle. Um, that cycle was about 20 minutes. There was like a highway driving part. There was a city driving part and a lot of idling time. And one of the engineers realized, well, why don't we just switch the engine off during this long idle periods? And then our figures looks a lot better. So that mm. stop-start systems uh, evolved. Uh, these days they use another um, a new cycle in Europe, which is called the WLTP, which is a more realistic cycle with more harsh accelerations, not so much idle time. Um, we've actually done a test before when I still worked at Car Magazine where we did our own drive cycle with stop-start um, switch on and off to see the difference. And I must say, yeah, it doesn't make that much of a difference. It all mm. depends on obviously your commute, how much stationary time you have in your commute. But um, you won't half your fuel consumption. It's, uh, it's a fraction that you will save. But I suppose in the modern era, of cost of fuel and also saving the environment, it's, it's not a bad idea. I get you. Oh, double one double eight three oh seven oh two. Time is running out fast. Give us a call if you have any of those technical questions around your vehicle. Um, I mean, we started off with a good one around um, the failure of the stop-start uh, system on, on a Fiesta, I think, to 2017 model, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so if you have any similar issues or anything else uh, that worries you or bothers you about your vehicle and you just want some advice, 011-883-0702. Alternatively, 072-702-1702 for your WhatsApp messages, either a quick voice note or alternatively a text message if you really must. That would be appreciated. Looking up at the time, six minutes to go before we get to three o'clock. 702. The car feature with Nicole Lowe. Uh, Nicole, I'm going to ask one of my own uh, very quickly there. Um, you know, it comes to, I guess, any vehicle that smokes is, is obviously of concern. So, you know, when you, um, especially, I guess, on, on a cold start, you start a vehicle and there's some, uh, excuse me, uh, smoke bellowing out from the tailpipe or the exhaust pipe, as we call it. It's worrisome. Is there a difference between darker smoke, like a black smoke emitting versus... Uh, a, a, a white smoke because I once heard and I don't know if this is a an urban myth that if it's white smoke it's it's worrisome but if it's a, a black smoke it's less worrisome is that true? We can talk about the color of smoke um, yes so let's talk about there's also a difference between petrol and diesel because remember diesels by default will have a bit of uh, black suit coming out the exhaust part uh, if it's an older diesel, the newer diesels are all fitted with a diesel particulate filter that will catch the suit so you don't get that black plumes out of a diesel. Remember the old school bus, how that used to pollute the atmosphere. Mm. Um, when we talk about smoke, um, 
if it's black smoke on a petrol, it might mean that it's just overfueling. So that might be during a cold start, too much fuel is going in, it will give you a black smoke. But that's not the end of the world, but obviously we need to find out why it's overfueling. And mm. um, with high mileage vehicles, and that goes for petrol and diesel, um, you get actually oil being burned in the combustion chamber because of the wear on the, the piston rings and also your valve stem seals. So if some oil gets burned with the fuel, that gives it a blue tint. And also that oily smell. If you drive mm. behind an old vehicle, you'll know exactly what I talk about, that burnt oil smell and that blue sort of tint to the smoke. Then sure. you know it's a high-mileage vehicle, it's oil being burnt. If it's white smoke, it might, in a petrol especially, it might point diesel as well, it might point to coolant, to water entering the, the combustion chamber because white, think of it as more of, uh, as steam. Mm. Um, so that might also be um, uh, serious in the sense that if it's a head gasket that's gone, mm. it might mean that some of your coolant is actually reaching the combustion chambers and that's giving you that whitish uh, colored smoke. But remember also when it's cold in the morning, um, you also get a bit of white smoke because it's still cold and there's some, some water vapor yeah. that you will mm. see come out. Um, yeah, so in a diesel, when you get an injector that's faulty and it's putting too much diesel into the combustion chamber, that can also give you a whitish color smoke. But you will actually smell the diesel fuel coming mm. out the mm. exhaust as well. So yeah. it's a visual check. And you also need your nose, I think, to identify exactly well, what the issue is there. On. Let's take uh, Herman from um, uh, from from Joburg very quickly. Herman, good morning. Oh, good afternoon, rather. Hi, good afternoon. Yes, yes, yes. Short and sharp. Okay. okay. Um, so what I would just like to establish, this weekend I traveled with my vehicle. I drive a Nissan Qashqai, about 300 kilometers. And for the first time it happened, there's actually... My feet got wet on the left-hand side, if you know what I mean. And I think it's the aircon that's actually leaked water into the vehicle. Would you know why that happened? Yes, that's true. Um, it's probably if it was clear water, uh, that might point to the aircon. Remember, any air conditioning system has got a byproduct of water because it actually dries the air as it cools it down. It takes out the water. If you look outside the building, there's always a pipe running from the aircon and water dripping out. So it's, it's either that that little pipe where the water actually collects um, has come off and now it's dripping into the cabin, or it might be blocked. So that little pipe actually drops all the way down uh, underneath the vehicle. So you'll sometimes see when you were driving with the aircon on for a long time, you stop in your garage, you look under your car, there's a pool of clear water. That's all condensate for, of the, the aircon. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not a it's not a terrible issue. You just need to find out if that pipe has come loose, the drain pipe, or is it blocked that it's pushing the water inside the cabin. That that is definitely what is happening. And then um, I don't know if you'd be able to do this one in uh, under a minute, but uh, someone says here they have a C one eighty Merc Elegance Automatic two thousand eight model. Apparently, the gear lever gets stuck in the park. Um, you know, in park, and then they have to force it out of park to 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 drive. Um, apparently, very frustrating at times. Um, do you know what the problem might be there? Yeah, so best is to take it to an automatic transmission specialist. Remember, when you put it in park, it's a park function where it's got a mechanical lock that engages into the transmission to prevent the vehicle from running away. Mm. Um, 
and that 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 mechanical lock uh, there's actually a word for it which I can't remember now that might be that mechanism is actually sticking and that's why it's not releasing so the good thing is at least the car is not rolling away uh, because that's the, that's that's what that mechanism does but that mechanism is not releasing the way it should so basically stuck it to automatic transmission you can look at that operation Ooh. Yeah, and, and not the cheapest always that as well. Um, but thank you so much, Nicol. All the best to you and uh, really great advice there. And uh, thanks for, for, you know, teaching us something new, especially with these uh, stop-start vehicles and uh, keys that you don't have to put in ignitions anymore. All the best to you, mate. Thank you. Lekker.